Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here by Dwayne. And we got a special guest. We've got Kyle with us today. Coach Kyle Graves. What's up, Coach? How are we doing, gentlemen? Thanks for having me. I am excited that you are here because you and I have had many uh, Zoom conversations and phone conversations, just in real, in-life conversations about soccer and your uh, your history and your background in the, in the sport. Uh, and we're so happy to have you in the club in general. And we're happy to have you in the podcast because I think uh, we're going to have a really good time with this. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you guys bringing me in. You know, when I moved to Delaware, I knew I needed to find a new home. Um, and, uh, you know, I found one with the union. So I'm really appreciative of that as well. Yeah. So Coach Kyle coaches our 2007 girls team and also is one of the coaches on the 2011 2012 girls team. So I wanted to actually talk about this because Dwayne and Kyle and I was there for part of it. So our play days that we've been we've been having so far. Um, They've, they're a lot of fun. Uh, I watched the boys play. It's the first time I've gotten to watch the boys play. I've gotten to watch the girls play in one of them before, but the first time I got to watch the boys play and it was fun. Like it, it was, it was really fun to see the kids play. So how has that been on the girls side from your perspective, Kyle? Um, I think it's a great opportunity. Uh, when we talked originally and you explained kind of, the format of our youngest groups and, uh, and, and what we were doing and why we do it. One of the things you introduced was the play days. Um, and so it was something new for me. Um, but I think that the format of, of getting players, a lot of different games in a short amount of time, um, it is certainly very valuable. I think not having the pressure, even at their age, they do see tournaments as kind of like maybe a higher pressure environment. Um, and I know with having a daughter on the team, um, you know, when she goes to tournaments, sometimes she, she's a little tight and a little tense, even though we try to make it about development, just having fun. But the play days seem to be a perfect balance between they see it as more than just a training session or even an independent scrimmage, but it's not um, necessarily a tournament format. So I just think we see a really great, um, a really great environment for the players. Um, and it does allow us since the formats are, uh, you know, multiple teams on one site. Uh, we've had the opportunity, you know, to mix our players in, in various ways, whether it be by age group or sometimes by ability or sometimes just, you know, kind of making splits on the team. So it's allowed us to do a lot as a coaching staff um, to see players in different environments against different teams. And I just think it's led to a ton of development. Um, and, and you're right. They're just they're so fun. Um, it's almost like speed dating. It's so fast. They get done with one game. It's like quickly, you got two minutes, tell them what a great job they did. And then they're off to the next one. Um, so that that's certainly something that's great for the players. Yeah. And then by far, this is the biggest year we've had from a play day perspective. We've been doing the play days for since the 2007s were a U10 team. So they're now U14. So what, uh, four or five years. Mm-hmm. It's been over five years now that we've done these in different in different formats or different ways. Uh, but the 08s, the 07s, and the 06 girls were the first one to to really do this um, when they were at U11, U10, and U9, respectively. But what's really interesting is on the boys' side, we're starting to find that the switches in the roster and Dwayne uh, helped coach one of the teams this weekend. I feel like the switches in the roster is actually – helps because it, it, it just 
solidifies our style of play. So it doesn't matter whether you, you take whatever kid from the list, you put them all together and from the same team and they all perform relatively well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, oh, sorry. You look at the style of play and like, I mean, you take this weekend, for example, like I sprint over from a different field and just hop in. I just know the kids' names and they're able to just kind of play their own style, which is good. I mean, it's pretty fun to watch because you don't really have to coach. I mean, you just pretty much just organize the kids, make sure where they need to be and they can just play. They understand, hey, this is who I should be passing to. I should make an easy pass. I should shoot here. I should dribble here. Like they all kind of understand how to play and it's really like Kyle said, fun to watch. It's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, I think it's also what's exciting is that it constantly proves the fact that um, from a club perspective, what we're looking to do is create an environment where the coaches to a certain extent are interchangeable at, at times. And it's really just about the, the club mentality that we have and the, the development approach that we have. So I was able to jump in yesterday for part of Kyle's session with the 2011 and 2012 girls. And I had a blast for the 15, 20 minutes that I was there. Um, a, I know some of those girls, but some of the girls I don't know as well, but they, they, nobody said a word. Like that's a fun part. And I, I think it's kids being kids, but also at the same time, it's just the environment that we're, we're creating where I could just jump in. Coach Kyle goes, Hey, coach Sebastian is going to help us out. Boom. Nobody's, nobody says anything. They just, they just go into it. They're like, all right, cool. Perfect. Let's go because I'm giving them very similar instructions to what Kyle's given them. The, 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 uh, the language is, is very similar. So it, it really helps. And I think that's, that's really exciting. So, um, which also speaks about, and I don't know that, and Dwayne, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast yet, but have we talked about the fact that we got the players, U S club players first? Um, I don't think we did. So, yeah, we have not. No. So one of the things we got recently that's <laughs> happened is uh, Delaware Union was named a U.S. club players first club. Uh, so what it what it means, which it was it was really cool. The the entire uh, the entire process was, was fun. We were able to create an entire uh, we had to basically fill out an application and, and talk about our club and exactly what what development means to our club and, and the different things that we do in general as a club. Um, but ultimately the, the whole be idea behind players first is uh, it's about the holistic approach to player development. It's long-term development over short-term success. Um, and it's about engaging our parents and our families. It's about the different things that we provide. It's also about our coaching education to make sure that our coaches are constantly uh, learning and constantly trying to be better coaches for the players that we have in the club. So we're one of 114 clubs in the entire country that, that have this certification. So it's, it's really exciting. Uh, it's been a lot of work from a lot of, from, from all of our coaches and all of our staff and all of our volunteers in the club. Um, so it's very excited where it was, when I got the email, I was, I was really excited. I know Dwayne was one of the first people I texted um, when we got it because it was, it, it was, it was at times, um, we don't do this. And I think Dan talked about this is if you're doing this for recognition, you're doing it for the wrong thing. But at times it also feels good to, to get a, a pat on the back and, and, you know, say, Hey, well done. And not just from the people in our club, but from somebody outside a governing body to a certain extent. Uh, so we were really excited about that. And it's something different, you know, you kind of, 
just try to find new ideas. Like you talk about the play days, right? That's just something different. Like so you look at some of these other clubs that we play and they're playing in leagues and traveling and all that stuff. But I think like just for the state of Delaware and how small we are, you know, like those play days, everybody knows everybody. We know all the coaches. They come in, the kids play, they enjoy it. You get to see how you match up with the rest of the state and, you know, it helps you in your path forward development. Likewise, you get to see what other people are doing. Oh, their kids are really technical at this age. Like, but maybe we phase it in later. It's just pretty cool to see. And again, the players first, it was good to get that like education piece too. Like that's a huge part of coaching. Like, yeah, it kind of gives you the why I was talking about earlier. It was like, it kind of gives you the why to like what you do. Like if you're doing a passing pattern, like, yeah, you know, this passing pattern is going to make your team better, but why does it make your team better? Why do we open up on our front foot? Right. I think that's um, some of the cool things and better things that we do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think that's, that's a hundred percent. Right. Um, so we're going to get to know Kyle a little bit better. <laughs> Sounds uh, good. <laughs> so Kyle, how did you get started in coaching in general? Um, so probably not dissimilar to a lot of former players. Um, I do see myself as a former player, not a current player. Um, <laughs> you know, as I was, uh, you know, finishing up my college playing, um, my initial coaching, um, actually came kind of by accident. Um, my now wife's, uh, cousin, uh, who was quite a bit younger than us was playing up in Rochester, New York for a club. And I was, uh, still attending school about an hour South of of rochester and i got a call from uh my my wife's aunt and uncle one day basically saying uh that matthew's coach had left (laughs) they were desperate for a coach and asked if i would if if i would you know think about stepping in um i had no coaching experience obviously a lot of playing experience and you know some relevant soccer stuff but my coaching experience was limited to you know summer camps and you know things like that um, so I took on, uh, you know, that team for the second half of my senior year of college. Um, it was a great experience. Um, kind of had no clue what I was doing from a coaching perspective, um, but I knew I loved it. Um, but I knew I wanted to coach well before that opportunity, um, you know, kind of presented itself. So after that, um, I moved to Rochester after graduating and realistically, I knew I was going to go into coaching. So um, I was an education major. Um, I knew I was going to be a teacher. Um, And I, to be honest, I think I was probably looking to go into teaching for two reasons. One was the the true, sincere love of, um, you know, education and, uh, you know, working with kids. But the other thing is, it's a great schedule for coaching. <laughs> and right. It's a great avenue to get into coaching. Yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't be honest if I said that that didn't play into, you know, my choice of initial career field. Um, so basically, I arrived uh, for my teaching interview, um, got the job. And then during the process of the interview, they had seen in some of my materials that, uh, you know, I played, you know, college soccer and things like that. And schools are always looking for coaches. Um, so I basically got the teaching job on, you know, one day and then the next day they were asking me about coaching. Um, so I was able to initially transition right into coaching, uh, both at the JV level and uh, assistant varsity coach. Continued to uh, kind of cut my teeth a little bit there. Um, and so that was how I got into coaching originally um, was, was through that initial club opportunity and then through uh, you know, teaching and coaching, you know, I, I was able to kind of, you know, meet people and, and 
uh, with my high school team, we do a lot of stuff out of season. So, you know, we're, we kind of, uh, in New York, you kind of, your kids play club, but then they also try to stay with the school team as well. We had changed rules. So they were allowed to play with the coach outside of the season. So, okay. um, basically just a ton of different youth coaching throughout that. Um, you know, and that's how it all started. So what's, what's really interesting and I want to know how how these two or three things ended up coming and coming together. But so what's really interesting is we talk about uh, having coaches at times are, you know, sometimes you meet college coaches that are really good college coaches and sometimes struggle on the club side of things. You sometimes you meet um, club coaches that don't quite have what it takes to be a, a college coach for for what it takes to be a college coach. And um we talk about almost the hardest coaching job possible you can have, which is coaching like two, three and four and five year olds somehow. And, and I want to know how, how it is that you have the experience in all three and how you're amazing at all three of them. But how is it that you managed to coach at all three of those levels and be awesome at it? Because, and I, and I was, it was funny. I pointed this out to my dad when we were at the field on Tuesday night, uh, Kyle also, runs our discovery program uh, which we talked about in the podcast before which is a uh, our, our rebranding of our recreational program for three to six year olds and kyle was doing a warm-up and i could hear him from the other side of the, the other field when i was setting up my my practice and all i heard was starfish pencil starfish <laughs> pencil and all i could see was kyle opening his arms like a starfish and then going into a pencil and then these little kids followed him around and then he started going squiggly pencil, squiggly pencil. <laughs> and I was like, and I looked at my dad and I was like, that's the kind of energy. I don't know that I have. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, you might, me, you might catch me like that on a couple days. Like you just never know. I just never know my energy going into practice sometimes. So I don't know how he does it. Yeah. So, all right. So Kyle, how is it that a, you got, you went from coaching schools and club to coaching college. And then also how is it that you gained a passion for, for coaching younger kids too? Okay. Good question. So I'll do the college transition first. Cause it, at the time that I transitioned into college, I didn't necessarily know at that moment, you know, how unique my path was. Um, so basically when I, when, uh, similar to when we just moved down to Delaware, my first move, um, out of Rochester, my oldest daughter Delaney had just been born. Um, my wife kind of wanted to get closer to home. I never wanted to live in New York, so I could care less where we lived in New York because I didn't want to be there anyway. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, my wife really wanted to move closer to our families. Um, so we made that move home and kind of similar to the last year since I've been down here, um, anytime I have a life transition, I, I really try to not rush into anything, you know, kind of take it as a, a reset moment. So in that moment, this was in 2009, I had been teaching for five years and I knew I had a passion for teaching, but just like many coaches, you always have that thought in the back of your head, like, how far can I take this? Um, so what I did was when I moved home, instead of initially agreeing to a teaching job or interviewing for full-time jobs, um, I decided I was going to substitute teach for a little bit to give myself some flexibility. Um, and basically I reached out to the local college, which is where I ended up working, uh, SUNY Morrisville. Um, there was a couple of reasons I reached out there. Um, one was location. It was, it was close to where I was going to be living. 
Um, second thing, my wife's, my mother-in-law had worked there and I knew the program pretty well. I had been recruited to play there. I knew the history of it. I knew a lot of people that had went there. Um, so those were, you know, some of the reasons that I reached out. So actually, um, I emailed the head coach, um, and just kind of introduced myself and, and said that I was in the area, um, and, you know, looking for any coaching opportunities, basically volunteer type stuff. Um, and I didn't hear back. Um, so I was like, okay. Um, well, come to find out he was a part-time coach and he didn't really go into the office much in the off season. So this was off season. Um, but in the meantime, I would, I would be okay being told no, but right. I wasn't okay not hearing back. Yeah. Um, so I reached out to the athletic director. Um, and, uh, and if he hadn't responded, then I was going to use my mother-in-law's influence. <laughs> um, so I reached <laughs> you're out getting, to the you're getting your foot in the door either way, right? Yeah. I, it was just, I, that's all I wanted was just a foot in the door. So, um, so I basically talked to the AD over the phone. He got super excited. Um, I didn't know at the time why, um, but he just got excited about, you know, having somebody with interest. So I met with him and he kind of put me in touch with uh, the head coach. Um, and we, we kind of took it from there. Um, so basically I was the assistant coach uh, for that first year, the fall of 2009. Um, the team was not very good. Um, we had just transitioned from being a junior college, com uh, competing in uh, Division Three level JUCO, and they'd made the transition into NCAA Division Three. Um, and after that first fall, um, the position opened. <laughs> and I was, again, just like anything, um, you know, you never feel like you're fully ready. Um, but I was given the opportunity to take the team on an interim basis. Um, and, and then it just went from there. Um, so I was, uh, I took them for their spring non-traditional season. Uh, it went well, um, kind of learned the recruiting process. I had some great mentors along the way. Um, and that's basically how I transitioned and why I say it wasn't, um, what I learned that it wasn't as traditional is, is a lot of people that go into the college game, go directly into it. Right. So they take on assistant GA positions right. and then they move into assistants and then head coaches and things like that. I didn't have the opportunity. I had already started a family. Um, so the only way for me to do this was, um, you know, to kind of go in maybe as an assistant. Um, and I was not expecting, you know, the opportunity for a head coach to come up at all necessarily, but certainly not that quickly. Um, so for me, it was a lot of um, learn as you go. Um, so it wasn't as much of spending those three, four or five years kind of under the tutelage of somebody else. Um, even though I had those people in my life, um, they were more resources as I tried to figure it out. Um, you know, and we did, we got it figured out pretty quickly. Um, you know, I was fortunate to be able to land some, you know, some good recruiting classes. We were I had great support from the institution. So we had good resources. Um, we were in a conference that we were capable of making improvements and, and, and doing well in, and, you know, it just kind of went from there. Um, so my path to college coaching was again, not as traditional as, as some other people. Um, to the question of the youth stuff. Um, <laughs> the reality is I feel it was more of a learning curve for me to learn to coach at the college level than the little kids, because I see myself as a big kid. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, the stuff that you were mentioning earlier about, you know, the starfish and the pencil and, you know, playing, you know, Dalmatians and dog catcher and, and, and things like that, even though that's only become more recently the age group I've been working with, 
um, I would say that I feel the most comfortable with, you know, that age group or even like my, my 2011s and 12s. I just, I love the idea of working with young players that are just so happy just to be there. Um, and, you know, to be a role model and a mentor and to be goofy with them. So, um, you know, for me, it really wasn't transitioning from being a college coach into being comfortable in that new environment of the youngest players. I think I've always been comfortable around, um, you know, youth players. And for me, it was a challenge to meet the demands of, of the college game. Um, that's just kind of how I see it for myself. That's interesting because it, you would figure it would be the other way around, but that's awesome. That's, and that's, I, I think it's really fun. Um, it, it's definitely the one area that the, that I don't, and I, and I've had this conversation with Kyle before where I don't feel as comfortable with the younger kids. Um, it, it just takes, it takes me to have to be, I think the, the, the challenging part at times is having to move past the idea that like you're, you have to try to have the mindset of a, of a three and five, three and four mm-hmm. or five year old. Right. I took, um, I took the the U.S. Youth Soccer National Youth License, and going through the testing part of that was probably one of the most um, like pressure situations I've ever felt in front of like four and five and six year olds trying to play treasure chest or pirate chest or pirate <laughs> pirate ship or whatever it was that I was playing during my testing game, and I'm just like, this is nuts. Like I've coached soccer before. And it almost like it's almost even though it's the same game, it almost feels like a different game at times, um, which is why I commend anybody that that really, truly enjoys it and is also naturally good at it. You know, I, I watch um, I watch some of our discovery program coaches like Nate and Becca and Cordelia, Katie, uh, Ava, Sydney, even your daughter, Delaney. I think that was like just naturally the right fit for those age groups, which I think it's also why would the discovery program is what the discovery program is now, because we felt like we needed the excitement from people that really wanted to jump into those age groups and somewhat to a certain extent, change the, change the environment for the players. Cause that gets, that gets the kids excited. And I've seen it with cause my own daughters in the program. And my daughter's probably the one kid who, um, would rather roll on the floor and probably wants to do nothing regarding soccer whatsoever when she's there. Yet I can see the fact that um, she likes to score goals. So Mm -hmm. I I was, I was able to kind of be play dad uh, during, during last week's session. And uh, she wanted to play with me more than she wanted to play with my wife. So, so I, I was, I was dad, I was dad. I wasn't a coach. I was just kind of, being having that role which is fun so she wanted to score goals she she wanted to go from one goal to the next and scoring goals and then she she understood what a soul stop is um and she had done a a program with coach tara before so she's really comfortable with her and loves her so the fact that like she's already learned some of those things we'll sit in the car and she'll go red light green light um yep so for me that's where the (laughs) development is like it may have nothing to do with the fact that my daughter probably it, she at this age has shows very little interest in soccer, which is perfectly fine. But 
it does have to do with the fact that she now understands red light, green light when we're in the car. And she can relate it back to soccer, which to me is is super exciting. And those are the small little wins that you get as a as a really young coach that I think are are really fun. Um, So I, I commend you guys and all our entire discovery program staff for for just being really good. Yeah, they're, they're a great staff. And as you mentioned, I think the hardest thing to kind of wrap your head around with that age group is it's the same thing they tell you if you're going to be, you know, teaching the, the younger elementary grades. The hardest thing adults have to do is giving up control, right? Um, and in those environments, the kids need to be in control. You're, you know, you're there to facilitate. Um, but as you said, if, if they take away red light, green light from it, you know, our job is to just set up an atmosphere where they're having fun. And from that, they're going to learn some of the soccer skills, but you're not teaching them the soccer skills, right? You're putting them in an environment where they have the opportunity to explore those things. And then, you know, what they take from it will be, you know, will be different for every kid. Um, So I think that's kind of the key to that age group. And I think the discovery program's right on, you know, right on mark with, um, you know, what they're trying to do. And and the coaches do a really good job of that. Um, So it's been a blast. No, absolutely. All right. So uh, this next question has now grown a list over the last couple of weeks that has probably beaten uh, Dwayne. So Dwayne started this question. We started with the like the the question grew from one of Dwayne's answers, which was that he worked at uh, Abercrombie. Oh, no, Hollister. <laughs> Hollister for Hollister for 48 hours. Uh, we found out that he was late both days and uh, had to buy his own clothes, which we don't. We all know that Dwayne likes free T-shirts, so that wasn't good. Uh, we've had um, Mark Spiegel, who was on the on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, talk about how he was in charge of uh, sorting nuts and bolts or quality controlling um, uh, bolts that go into cars or something like that. It's like a recall uh, or something. Yeah, it was like a recall. <laughs> so. What job? And I know, I know one of them because you told me one of them. I thought that one was pretty interesting. But what job outside of soccer have you had that's maybe a little out there? Because most soccer coaches have have them. Yeah, so I've had a couple. Probably the most interesting I've had is I worked at. I didn't even know at the time what I was making, and that's kind of a scary spot to be <laughs> right off the bat. But when I was probably around. 15, maybe starting at 14 or 15 until I graduated high school, I worked for a gentleman that ran like this CNC machining shop. So going into these nuts and bolts type thing. And it wasn't until years later um, that I even knew what we were doing. But basically, if you think of Homer Simpson pushing the button on, uh, you know, these machines and then sitting there eating donuts, that was kind of what we were doing. But we would sit there and we had no idea what we were making. We had no idea why we we're doing it. There was myself and my brother and one other young kid working there. Then there was like two people. So it was a very, it was a, you know, there was like six people total. This wasn't a big factory. It was, yeah. we worked in a, a hangar at an airport and years later come to find out, like I used to mess up all the time. I would hit the wrong button. and I wouldn't, you know, measure things right. And then come to find out later on these parts, the different things we were making, we made all sorts of different solenoids and things like that a single one of these could, you know, could be worth, you know, four or five, six, $700. We were making them out of these extreme specialty metals. I mean, <laughs> a single rod. And I'm just sitting there screwing up thing after thing. And my boss was just so laid back, like, and he's the owner of the company. So you'd think 
Um, so that was probably the most random job. And then we got into making hay wagons for a while. Um, so my brother and I would, um, you know, we, he would just tell us like, hey, you're going to go do this today. So it was just the most random job ever, but it's the most fun I ever had. And had I known at the time how serious and how particular these things we were making, I probably would have paid a little more attention, um, you know, but I was like a 15-year-old kid. And it wasn't until after college and years later when I started learning about the mechanical engineering field and, and some of the things I went back and I spoke to the guy and I said, Steve, like, how much did I mess up? And he was like, oh, you messed up every day. <laughs> and I was like, the reason why they have the recalls. Yeah. You're the reason why Mark got a job. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Like, so it, I guess the whole thing was like, even all the stuff I messed up, like he would just scrap metal it and return it. So it was almost like returning deposits on cans to like, even the things we messed up. But, um, Again, it wasn't until years later that I actually have a friend from college who works for one of these metal distributors. And I was like, hey, I used to work for this guy and he happened to know of him. And he was like, yeah, he's one of the best in the business locally. And I was like, yeah, I used to mess up stuff. And he was like, he's the one that told me, he goes, you know, this single 10 foot piece of, you know, whatever nickel, you know, that'll cost him $10,000 to buy that bar of round bar. And I was like, well, I used to ruin that round of round bar every day. <laughs> Um, and hey. we just had so many funny stories. I mean, we were just, we were young kids, you know, just having a blast. Um, Life lessons from coach Kyle. If you're going to take your first <laughs> job at like 15 or 16 years old, you never know the impact you're going to have. So make sure you do it right. Right. That's very true. And, and, and always be aware. I mean, I got my hand stuck in a machine one day, um, and, and crushed my hand, but I couldn't say what happened because I was working under the table. So I had to say, I dropped my car on it. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, oh man, that's yeah. fun. I, I like that. That could, one. Be a, that could be a whole separate Put the life on the edge right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's good. I like that one. Um, all right, who are your three favorite soccer players? Three favorite players. Okay, so, um, we're gonna kick it back a little bit. Um, you know, I'm a man U fan. Yep. Um, so first and foremost, Ryan Giggs, um, was my favorite player of all time. Just love the way he played the game. Um, I think he was that perfect that perfect combination of finesse and grit, um, you know, the way he played it, um, you know, and if, if he had to get out there and stick his nose in, he would, but at times, I mean, just the brilliance that he showed on the field, there's moments, I mean, obviously, you know, the famous play the run from midfield where he just, you know, glides through an entire team. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, Ryan Giggs will always be my favorite player. Um, second, um, he's kind of had a resurgence lately in notoriety, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, um, back in the day with that same team. Uh, I remember my coach talking about him, my high school coach, and just all the lessons you could learn from him. You know, he kind of created this name, the super sub, right? Coming in, scoring late goals off the bench. And at the time, you know, when you're that age, you don't appreciate what that took to be you know, a player that wasn't often in the starting 11 um, or, you know, in and out of the starting group. But when his number was called, um, you know, he was always there to make big plays and just super selfless, which is probably why he's in the position that he is today. So yeah. I, I always liked him as a player then. But then when I kind of got into coaching and interacted more with players and top level players and, and saw how a lot of players reacted if they weren't in the first 11, 
it just kind of, you know, grew my appreciation for what he did. You know, I don't know how many goals he scored for Man U. It was 120 something. And to do that, um, you know, often being a reserve is just, you know, something that I don't know if he'll ever be again. Uh, and then my final player, current player, Julie Ertz. Um, you know, you know, I got Quinn, you know, Quinn with our 2012 team. And every single time I talk to Quinn, if we're watching soccer or talking soccer, I say, as long as you, you know, as long as you train yourself to play like Julie Ertz, you're going to have a happy dad. Um, and again, just another one of those players that I don't want to say she's an unsung hero because I do think she gets a lot of credit now, but I think she's getting credit now because people are changing the way they view players. Um, but I know when I first asked our 2011, 12 team, who their favorite player was, um, you know, a lot of them, you know, it was Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino and things like that. And, and I had a conversation with them about those are all great players. And then I explained why Julie was my favorite player. And again, just, that selflessness attitude, kind of the, you know, doing all the dirty work, um, but then also having the skill um, and the fortitude to, to make big plays. Um, so those are my three, uh, Ryan Giggs, Solshire, and then Julie Ertz, especially nice. as I'm transitioning to the girls' side. I mean, I could watch any game with Julie Ertz every single day and just watch her on the field. I, I just think she does it right. There you go. That's good. Awesome. If you had to coach a different sport, what would it be? Uh, easy one golf because I, <laughs> I love to do it but I can't afford it <laughs> especially now that I'm down here in Delaware and I don't have the contact so I think I told you at one point the only yeah. way I got good at golf was because I had a lot of friends that worked at courses and I worked at a course myself um, so it would if I was coaching it it would give me an excuse to play it all the time um, and it would give me a way to afford it so hands down if i could coach anything else it would be golf there you go all right you, that's a i think that might be the first golf answer we've had um that's the most jaded reason <laughs> i mean ultimately like if we had coach chad whenever coach chad gets on the podcast uh i think he that would probably be his answer too we'll probably get him on the podcast on the golf course <laughs> that's probably our way in i'm gonna make sure he he knows that you said that today Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, I sudden, stayed, if I stayed as a teacher, my goal was to coach soccer in the fall and golf in the spring. There you go. Um, and I know my golf, I played golf in high school and my coach, I asked him one day, I was like, what got you into coaching golf? And he was like, do you know how much it costs to play golf? I come here every day for free with you guys. <laughs> it was just the, just the most blatantly honest answer. He's like, I don't want to be around you guys. I don't want to make you better golfers. I get to play free every day. So, um, I coach golf. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, they get yeah, it's one way to do it. <laughs> um, all right, good. So, all right. So we're moving on to uh, the champions league. So the champions league started in what probably seems to be, <laughs> I think one of the weirdest <laughs> years for a champions league or even a Europa league. Uh, I mean, I, I always, you know, the champions league always brings, um, you know, matchups that are really good and also matchups that are going to be, you know, some of the big teams will always lose games here and there. But I think in general, like the, the first, just the first weekend, like already brought in some of the most random things that, I mean, when's the last time that Real Madrid lost at home <laughs> in the group stage of the, in the group stage of the Champions League? Shakhtar, man. Shakhtar, man. <laughs> I love that team. They're always in the group stage. They never make it out. But, like, 
you know that they all like where is that ukraine turkey turkey like you always like those teams are always in the champions league like they know how to play and like Sevilla, i'm like are y'all gonna just lose on purpose go to the Europa oh sorry league? no shakhtar is ukraine sorry shakhtar is ukraine sorry ukraine yeah, and like Sevilla, I'm like, yeah, you guys are gonna just throw the Champions League out the window. We don't care about this. <laughs> you. Just gotta go get to the third league. place. That's all they want to get is just the <laughs> third place so they can go to Europa right, League, right? Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Which now, if you really think about this, this is this is the interesting part. Just to talk about the Real Madrid group, that Real Madrid group is no joke now. Like. You got Inter Milan, you got Borussia Mönchengladbach, or however you pronounce it. I always, <laughs> I, I always mispronounce it. And you got Shakhtar, who Shakhtar's already got three points, and then uh, Inter tied their first game. So now Real Madrid's at the bottom of the table <laughs> looking up. Like, Europa uh, League. I mean, yeah. The, That's what they're looking at, right? The other, the other one that I think is going to be the a really fun group because someone's going to get left out, like someone's getting voted off the island in the Atalanta, Liverpool, Ajax, and uh, Midland. Uh, what if Liverpool gets booted off the island? It's, well, I mean, you don't get booted off the island. Ultimately, one of those three will end up at the at the Europa League. But still, I mean, Atalanta who makes who makes the the uh, quarterfinals last year. Right, and then you got Liverpool, and then you got Ajax, who's still, who's still good. Like Liverpool, only won because of an own goal. Yeah, and I mean, Ajax is a selling team, right? They've sold everybody. Now, I will say that Sevilla, for the first time in a long time, is in a group that is definitely doable. They don't want to do it though. Like, well, I mean, <laughs> you you already saw it. They tied their first game. <laughs> They are trying to get out of here with the least amount of points as possible. I Open mean, the Europa League. Let's go. It's a dynasty. I don't. I don't get how. I mean, granted, they played Chelsea, which was their toughest match. But you're you're in a team where it's it's Chelsea, Sevilla, Ren, and Krasnodar. Like, if you're not top two in that group, <laughs> I don't. I don't know what you're doing with your life. You said what's the last team called? <laughs> Krasnodar. Yeah. Where is that? Uh, Krasnodar. Let's let's see. Uh, it's gotta be it's gotta be somewhere on the eastern side of Europe, Turkey or something. <laughs> uh, let's see, Krasnodar, Russia, Russia, <laughs> Russia. There you go. So Premier League champions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, about to take Sevilla's Europa League spot. <laughs> but then the other groups are interesting. You got. Lazio, Zenit, Dormit, who lost their game. Lazio looks like on the counter is looks good. Scary Italian club, man. Looks like almost like I don't to look last year like that. Now the I the the group of death between now Real Madrid's group with Shakhtar, and then the <laughs> other one which is Leipzig, United, PSG, and then uh, who is the other one? It's uh Istanbul. Istanbul, yeah. Yeah. So now. What, like, again, someone's getting voted off the island. United. See you later. No, as long as it's not United. Someone, later. Someone's, later. Going to, someone's going to the Europa League in that group. So that'll be really interesting, uh, considering that, yeah, Manchester United beat PSG, which was – Absolutely. It, and then uh, Leipzig won as well. 
Barcelona with a decent like. All right, because we we are Dwayne and I are clearly the two resident Barcelona uh, supporters here. So oh, hold on, hold on. Before you start, I just want to shout out to Chad from last night. Said that the O three girls look like Barcelona in training. I just want to shout him out for that one. <laughs> Even though he doesn't like to play like Barcelona, he hates Barcelona. He's like I hate Barcelona, but he's like y'all look like Barcelona. Just <laughs> a shout out, real quick. That's funny. Uh, so Barcelona, who decides that they're going to go young players, basically, almost a young starting eleven outside of like two or three players. PK, who gets red carded, who now can't play against Juve. But um, what the stadium named after Messi? <laughs> yeah, I just so now. So now Griezmann's on the bench. Messi's their starting nine. Um, I mean, we have to see some space for Ricky Pooch in this somewhere. He got two minutes a couple of days ago. Yeah, but not in the, the Champions League. Remember, I said against Juve, he's got to get points. Or he's got to get minutes against Juve. Um, now, he's not going to put in a tackle against Ronaldo because clearly Ronaldo's not playing next week because he can't and not allowed to because he's got COVID So or the testing or whatever it is that they can't, he can't play next week, but that'll be the interesting part. Well, you may, uh, and it goes on to my man in the match. We'll talk about that later, but you looked impressive without Ronaldo and Weston McKinney. And, and Dybala on the bench. And Chil- and Chiellini leaving in like the 20th minute. Yeah. Like, they look pretty impressive. So Pirlo's got those boys right. And, you can play like that without like three of your biggest players. Well, I guess you could argue about McKinney being the biggest, but two world class players, then like, you know, that's a Champions League run right there for you. I don't know who's in that group, but. Uh, for Juve? Yeah. It's Barcelona, Juve, Dinamo, Kiev, and uh, Vernavaros. Oh, they're already in the round of 16. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, yeah. But so here's the other part, right? It, does anybody have a shot at Bayern? Like at this point, <laughs> they are between. So not just take the Champions League out of it, right? And now, granted, they've lost a couple of games in the uh, in the Bundesliga, um, or they've they've lost one or tied one or something like that. They're not in first place in the Bundesliga. They're in second place by one point. It's only been four games, so it's it's. Again, it is what it is. But so they'll probably win the Bundesliga just because it's Bayern and they they win it. But it there just looks more consistent than anybody else. I mean, yeah, I think that's I think that's the calling card of Bayern. It's it's the the consistency that they play with is just and it's you would have to imagine it's more of a cultural thing than a tactics thing, right? Um, you know, they can swap in and out players. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, they're just consistently great um, or, or good enough that, you know, even when they're not at their best, they're still good. Um, right. So I think that's, you know, sometimes when you talk about teams, you know, the tactics and the players sometimes go out the window. It, it, it's culture. They've got a winning culture. Um, you know, they believe in themselves and they're just tough to beat. Um, and, and I don't see another team out there this year that you'd say, well, wow, that's going to give them a handful. So on any given day, I think, Bayern's the team to beat. I mean, the only reason why I think they lost against Hoffenheim is because three days later they were playing the the Super Cup against, against yeah, Dortmund. 
I don't think they played their guys. No, no. I mean, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I think I just think at some point you're just. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at the lineup against Hoffenheim, and you look at their and like to Kyle. Kyle said it. They're like their death. Like their winners are just like boom, 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 boom. You Kinsley Coleman. Kinsley Coleman. I mean, Simeone is gonna have nightmares about Kinsley Coleman, and I will give Dwight a shout out for. For Kinsley Coleman, I know I gave Kinsley Coleman a, a, a hard time in a previous episode because Dwayne came in with a stat that he's won like twenty nine some titles, and I was like, "Well, you've only you've already played at the you've only played at the two biggest clubs in your country, <laughs> so you've only you played at PSG and at Bayern, yeah. which ultimately like and Juve and, and Juve, which yeah. ultimately those are the three clubs that ever win at those country in those countries, but." But I'll give it to him that he looked really good, and Atletico Madrid looked absolutely like I don't know. Come on, nightmares, Luis Suarez. <laughs> and I thought, and I thought, listen, Suarez, Suarez is has looked really good for Atletico Madrid. Basically, telling Barcelona like, look how many goals I'm scoring, and you let me go. Um, but I, I mean, I think Bayern right now it's Bayern's for the taking. I mean. They can match their own record of winning every single game in the Champions League that they did last year. It's probably going to happen. They'll actually beat it because if we have a regular Champions League, they'll be home and away um, for for some of those later stages, which they didn't have this year. So, yeah, I mean, Bayern, absolutely the dominant force of the Champions League. Yeah, I think that you're right. Yeah, Bayern above everybody. I don't know who they play in the final right now, but you could probably pencil them in. Yeah, I am. We'll figure out the rest later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it might. It could be City. Maybe you never know. I don't know. They haven't been looking too hot, but it could be. Well, Aguero's back, so maybe that'll that'll change some things there. But then you still got the you still have the winter transfer market. Like you still yeah. got you still got the opportunity to bring in more players. So Who you bring it in though. Everybody got bought. I don't know. Messi, le- Messi leaves early. <laughs> Messi leaves early. Yeah, there you go. But they win the Champions League. They, they, well, I don't know. He can't. He's not allowed to play. Are you allowed to play once you've already? Yeah, played? they changed that rule because of um, what's his name got to play from uh, Dortmund, Holland. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. so you can play. Yeah. There you go. So, all right. Well, we're moving on to the player of the match. Um. I'm going to give my player of the match to one of my favorite players, Carlos Tevez, who last night again in a Libertadores match against Caracas, uh, Boca was already going through the next round already in first place in the group. Um, he scores two goals, two fantastic goals, looks fast, looks dynamic for being 34 years old. He looks really good. Um, so I think he's making his last push before retirement to be like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to drop, I'm going to, uh, drop the mic before I leave <laughs> and just slot on it and just, just go out, go out big. So Carlos Tevez is getting my man of the match or my player of the match award. Uh, Kyle, who do you have? Easy one. Marcus Rashford, man United. Um, and it's not because of the, just because of the, you know, the game winning goal. I mean, I, you know, I watched the whole match and he just, 
he subtly causes fits, um, you know, whether he plays high and runs into space, whether he's dropping back and he, he just, I thought he caused a lot of problems. Um, I thought novice was great on the day. He forced novice into some huge saves. So, um, you know, aside from that, the goal, um, you know, I, I don't know how many shots, I, I, you know, I counted five or six really great scoring opportunities, you know, he forced novice into two great saves before he, you know, just decides to let one go. Um, I don't know why he was given that much space, but, you know, he took advantage of it. Um, and, uh, you know, he got, you know, United a much needed three points. So um, that's my man of the match. There you go. Dwayne. Going with Alvaro Morata. Scores two goals for Juve. Um Felt like he just played for Juve, but I guess he was on loan for Madrid. Madrid bought him back or something like that. Went to Chelsea, went to Atletico. Now he's back with Juve, scores two goals, gets them the win. So way to be consistent, play on the biggest stage, even though clearly you can't be consistent everywhere else you go. <laughs> so good for him. Um, and I also want to give a uh, player of the match to Gio Reyna with the assist, even though Dortmund got whooped. Um Gio Reyna, uh, next up, I think he uh, starts in his friendlies the U.S. soccer has coming up in November. Oh, gotta, no doubt. No doubt. Got to be your starting 10. I don't know who you put around him, but you definitely put Bigham in your starting. Your starting well, according, that according to Sebastian, nobody over the age of 24 from the last podcast I listened to. Yeah, absolutely not. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> there should be nobody from over the age of 24 in the U.S. national team right now. Nobody. Uh, but you I, left you you guys you left out my boy Miles Robinson from that conversation. Syracuse boy, best eleven from Atlanta United. You know he's got a cap. I think he can. I think he can find his way into the mix. All right, that's fine. And he's an upstate guy. At some point, we're gonna start bringing in. You know these upstate camp roster. Players. Put him on the camp roster. Camp roster. Yeah, <laughs> put him on Dwayne's camp roster. There you go. <laughs> We'll take that roster and we'll say, all right, we'll figure out if there's 23 guys on that roster that make it to the World Cup. Yeah, Adam, Miles Robinson. Perfect. <laughs> all right, so on this day in history, listen, I'm telling you right now, these next two weeks of on this day in history, <laughs> this week and next week are, we couldn't have planned this if we wanted to. And I can tell you we didn't. Um, so... To, if we, if so, I'll just tell you a little bit of what happens today, tomorrow, and and we'll sneak peek as ne as to, ne as to next week's uh, on this day in history. So, if our podcast was recorded tomorrow, tomorrow was the founding day of the first football club ever in history. Hmm. That's Sheffield FC. So, I wanted to, I want to bring that up just just as a quick like tomorrow's on this day in history um so sheffield fc was uh founded in 1857 Whew. it's a couple Eight, of years ago it, yeah 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 I, I 1857 now they don't play they play in the northern premier league uh which is the like a, one of those regional leagues in england but yeah, they were founded in 1857. They are the uh, FIFA has recognized them as the first football club in history. So that's for tomorrow. So, but today, all right, and this will give you a sneak peek as to next week. So, 
the majority of the world, the majority of people will recognize that there are two players sometimes usually in history that have st- stood out probably above the rest. Not only has it been recognized by most people, but FIFA and all these other uh, uh, publications as well. So one of them's birthday is today. And then the other one's next week on Friday. So today at 80 years old, at 80 years old, and I'm going to let you, I'm going to, I'm going to see if, if Dwayne can figure it out unless he's, well, he's, he's probably already looked at the, the thing. Oh, you didn't. All right. So working on the side over here. All right. So, so if you hadn't looked at it, all right. So 80 years old, who could it be? Pele. Yeah. Got to be 80 years old. Yeah. Like he played in like the, 50s. Yep. Like so Pele is 80 years old, born today. So wow. on this day in history, 80 years ago, Pele was born. Uh at 17 years old, already had one World Cup. By the time he was 29, he had two more. So three <laughs> by the time by three by the time he was 29, no big deal. Call call it a career. Yeah, I mean <laughs> played at Santos from 56 to 74. Uh, 496 games, 504 goals. Again, no big deal. Whatever. <laughs> uh, played for the Cosmos. Uh, 64 games, 37 goals. Also, by that time, that was only in two years, and at that point, he was slightly, somewhat, slightly retired. Came out of retirement and came and played. Um, and then for the Brazilian national team, 92 games, 77 goals. So. An absolute monster of the game. Um, I got Are we talking about like the Brazilian top scorers. Were we talking about that on here? No, we talked about um, we were talking about Puskas before. Okay, I and think Steph- I was we, something. we yeah. were talking about Puskas and Di Stefano before. Yeah, I think I was with the top 10 like Brazilian goal scorers, like goal to game ratio, and like Pele is just like. Far above everybody else. Like Ronaldo, you talk about like Ronaldo, you talk about Neymar that's up there. And like, you know, I don't think Ronaldinho scored that many goals. But the no, the only that, one, the only one that, that apparently, according to himself, comes close to that is Romario. Romario, Romario is supposed to be uh, one of the most, one of the highest goal scorers ever in the history of the game. But also, he also tries to count, like, he's counted. Uh, friendly games when he was like 45 and he was playing in some like charity matches. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He was counting his training, his training goals. Uh, but, but yeah, Romario claims that he's one of the most, uh, the highest goal scorers ever in the history of the game. Um, but yeah, so next week we'll talk about the other player. We'll talk more about my side, my side of the, of South America. So <laughs> That'll be that'll be next Friday. Um, all right. So play or fair play of the week. Uh, I think, I think Kyle and I have the same one, but uh, Dwayne, you have a different one. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Wales. Uh, shout out to Swansea City, who I picked for my career mode for FIFA this year. Um, yeah. Shout out to them for uh, working with the U.S. to get them some friendlies in the 2020 calendar year, being able to accept them and make sure they have everything they need to be able to play. So it didn't look like the U.S. was going to be able to play in 2020. They're going to get a friendly, working on getting a second friendly, and we'll see if um, 
We'll see what that 23 man roster looks like. That's a good game, though. I will, I will, I, I that's a good game against Wales. It's a, it's a good game. Garrett Bale getting to play the only like minutes he ever gets to play. <laughs> Finally comes out of like the, the at home jail sentence that he's been in, apparently, because he can't play. Yeah, so I'm watching Tottenham play the other day. It's 3 1, 80th minute. Bale gets subbed in. I'm like, eh. And then, like, I get this alert that it was 3-3. I was just like, what? Just yeah. crazy stuff. He's just like, guess you just don't want him on your side. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, But at least he's healthy, so hopefully he'll start finding himself. Hey, Mourinho wanted him back. I mean. Play him Mourinho... at left back. There you go. Alfonso, Davies, Alfonso Davies style. <laughs> like, Alfonso Davies already over style. It's a big <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Kyle, do you want to give the, the fair player of the week? Because I think you and I have the same one. Yeah, I think same one. Going the same as my player, Marcus Rashford. Is that here? Yep. Yeah, so Marcus Rashford stepping up, trying to work with uh, the UK to feed uh, some of the disadvantaged youth during their school break. Didn't get what he wanted out of the government. So starts sending out kind of like social media posts, reaching out with what he was trying to do and kind of created his own government, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, government subsidy for the players. So, um, you know, I don't know what the number is at now, but, you know, tons of restaurants and, and small businesses who are obviously being impacted by COVID, just like everybody else, stepping up and, and volunteering to make sure that, the you know, as the vouchers expire, um, you know, that the, these kids still get what they need. And, you know, it's kind of like a grassroots, uh, you know, movement. So, um, the fact that when he was initially told, no, I mean, sometimes, you know, you question people's motives for why they're trying to do things, but, you know, he didn't stop at No. Um, you know, he found a way, which obviously shows the sincerity of what he's trying to do. Yeah. Um, so huge shout out to Marcus Rashford to make sure that, uh, you know, these, these, these young children are, are getting what they need. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's fantastic. And I was reading about that this morning and it was, it, it screamed fair play of the week so that was that's yeah. fantastic and i'm really excited about that so and i love that he just keeps posting with more i mean so his posts are basically telling people where to go now um yeah so it didn't stop it just like i got what i want now it's just the cycle's going and hey, know, they keeps, don't they don't love they don't like the government but they love marcus rashford man we score a goal <laughs> yeah. i mean scoring a goal against psg definitely helps right yeah yeah but again, credit credit to him for at 22 years old being able to, being able to have like use this platform for for good. Ultimately, right. you know? that's ultimately what it comes down to. So I'm that's that's really good. All right. So before we end the podcast, I wanted to talk about two more things. One, I want to give a special shout out uh, to one of our players um, because uh, one of our 2010 players has been playing in a different position that uh than she normally normally does mostly because i wanted to see something different on the field she's most she's usually an attacking player but can be a really good defender and so she's been playing on the defensive end at times um and she asked me why and i explained to her why so i wanted to make sure her dad was had gotten the message from her and if she didn't uh i wanted to relay that message on to him as well and um the first reaction which is the first time this has happened to us or at least to me uh, which I thought it, it really put a smile on my face was, well, I listened to the, we, well, he, and his reaction well was, well, I explained to her, you know, 
we're listening to the podcast last week and coach Barakera from UD said uh, he looks for players that can play in any, their good players can play in any position regardless of where they play. And it almost just, it, it, it clicked. Like this is the first time and, and we've had a ton of fun with the podcast and uh, Dwayne and I look forward to it every week. Um, but this is the first time that it's, I've gotten the direct feedback from a parent and a player that they're listening to it and they're taking something out of it. So to me, that's, that's really good. And um, it, it really put a smile on my face. So shout out to Bella and her dad uh, as well from the 2010s. Um, so hopefully they're, they're listening to this episode. If not, <laughs> that would be pretty, uh, it'll definitely deflate the balloon if they don't. <laughs> I'm hoping that they do. Um, so shout out to them for, for taking something out of the podcast. Cause that's ultimately the goal of it. Uh, it's just to not only have some fun, talk about some general soccer things, but also try to try to give something to the game as well. And then the last thing I want to talk about before we end is tonight. So Dwayne, you and I have been looking forward to this for, uh, I have a feeling it's like been a month or, or a little bit over a month. So we have decided to uh, basically create a home game advantage, home game advantage, a home field advantage for, for our players whenever we, have um have games so in order for us to do that we wanted to start it slow so that way we can kind of build the the momentum to it so we started with our high school girls team with our 03 girls team that is in a league right now and they were getting a friday night match under the lights in middletown village which is always fun to have and it got canceled last week but we're doing it tonight and we're doing a technical training session right before and then right after Boom, we jump into a game 8 o'clock at night against Ridley United. What I'm really looking forward to is what we're actually doing for this game. So not only do we have all of our uh, – we put it out to all of our teams to come out and, and do the technical training session or the finishing session right before and then stay for the game. We put out a challenge to the team. So basically the team that comes out and creates the like the best chant uh, or, or cheers the most is going to win a prize. And I will tell you right now what the prize is. Every single one of those players is going to get a, get a size one ball. So uh, we're going to give every one of those players a size one ball that they can take home and, and practice their juggling with their size one ball. So, um, and what we're doing is also we uh, put the benches uh, yesterday and shout out to my dad for helping clean the, clean the shed yesterday. Uh, so we're putting out, all the benches in Middletownville or in the side of the shed, we, we made it almost into a locker room kind of thing where the players will do their warm up and then they'll go and change for, for their game. And then we got music that we're coming out to for this game. So it's going to be a somewhat obnoxious uh, experience uh, for a youth soccer game. But I also think it's going to be fun. I know I talked to the high school girls and I know Chad and Dwayne has talked to the high school girls and they're looking forward to it. Um, we got fans, but we got fans. We got fans. <laughs> we got socially distanced fans. We we asked everybody sent out an email today that please maintain social distance, wear your mask. Um, but we have enough space in Middletown Village that social distancing can be accomplished and achieved, which is good. So we're looking forward to this. So I'm looking forward to the reaction from the other team when we do this. Um, because uh, I have a, I have no idea. Because yeah, I have it's... a feeling it's just going to be insane. It's just such, I mean, the atmosphere is everything. Um, and uh, I just, I, I, when I saw it initially, I was like, this is, this is great. You know, this is, 
you know, at the collegiate level, we do things every once in a while to try to drum up extra support. And, uh, you know, this kind of follows that same path. And uh, it, it's just it's just such a cool thing for the players to experience. And, you know, for the fans as well, it, it's just be it'll be great. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to the fact that after this is after this fall season is done as our pilot program with the high school girls, we now want to create this environment for all of our all of our teams playing. Um, so in the in the fall we'll have the boy or in the spring we'll have the, our two high school three high school boys teams that we'll be able to do some bigger events for. But then I we want to encourage all of our players to go and watch and support all of our other teams playing. Um, yesterday I was actually talking to the 2011 2012 girls about i was like what are you all wearing that's exactly the same they're like delaware union jerseys i was like all right well that means you're all part of the same club like that means you're a family that means there's a level of respect that we have for each other and support that we have for each other so you know the the younger players look up to the older players and those are things and then the younger players feed off the energy from the older players cheering them on because we've had Mm -hmm. that happen as well before and that's always exciting so um we're really looking forward tonight i'm i'm excited um so we, you know, if you listen to this before six o'clock, make sure you get out to Middletown Village. If you're listening to it afterwards, uh, look out for the pictures. Uh, we're going to post some stuff on social media. Dwayne and I might be able to. Dwayne, I think we can get on a Facebook Live or Instagram Live tonight. Just for I, a short. I thought about I was like, all right, can we actually manage to like Facebook Live our, our game? But I was like, that's a lot of work right now to considering I thought about this this morning. So, uh, but. It's definitely possible. We have the resources to do so. I think we just need to plan it out. Forthcoming. Forthcoming. <laughs> uh, uh, Facebook Live, Delaware Union home game. Uh, but I think we need it like a, like, you know, how Dortmund has like the yellow wall. Yeah. Can we get some bleachers on like the back of that one goal and just. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get a giant screen and get people to zoom into it? Yeah, <laughs> like uh, there you go. Or See, virtual fans for oh, virtual fans, virtual fans. Oh, how I hated those things. Uh, but uh, now I want them. Now I want yeah. the giant blow up screen. <laughs> so uh, make sure you you follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Delaware Union, on Instagram at Delaware Union Soccer, and on Twitter at de Union Soccer. We're going to be posting pictures uh, from this entire week. Kyle, thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast today. Absolutely, I've been uh, listening to it for a few weeks now. As I was, uh, you know, getting more familiar with the club, and I was waiting for the invitation. So certainly appreciate it, uh, and uh, it was it was a blast. Yeah, hey, listen, uh, you're welcome to come back on as our as our regular host anytime you want to. Because <laughs> it, it, sometimes Dwayne and I just get lonely, and we just uh, <laughs> we've had to record one episode. Mooch, Brandon Aaron, Aronson show. And- yeah, like we've had to record one episode just by ourselves, and it was, uh, uh, I don't know, Dwayne and I spent a lot of time together. Yeah, I think I think we definitely got to do a spinoff episode with our U.S. men's national team, like a full episode before that friendly. Oh, I mean, we we have we have yet to talk about uh, we have yet to talk about the fact of the players that we don't want to see on the national team. We have a full <laughs> roster of players we don't want to see on the national team anymore. So maybe we'll uh, that'll be the that'll be the on on one of the next upcoming shows. Yeah, we'll do that right before they're friendlies when they like release that list. We're like, all right, that's a player yeah. that we didn't want. That's yeah, there you go. Want. That's what we'll do. Well, you just you just never know. I mean, the last time when they pulled up Demarcus Beasley out of reserve, <laughs> I listen. Saw as long as I don't see Brad Guzan on there, I'm yeah. good. No, I saw Demarcus Beasley at the convention a few months before he was there, 
and I didn't recognize him because he just didn't look like himself. And then three months later, he's back on the national team. So, um, and to his credit, he actually, you know, he was needed at that point, but we, let's just. No players below, no players over over 24. I'd rather see Miles Robinson than Demarcus Beasley. (laughs) I'm telling you, Miles Robinson will be there. No, no player over the age of 24, 25, 26 is the absolute max. And I'll take one or two of those only. Um, all right. Well, thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot.